Tune in for my interview with Richard, an educator and filmmaker who raised two children in China, and soon after they left the nest to study in America, he relocated to Japan to continue living his best life. Welcome to the Are We Home Yet podcast, where we talk to expats about what it's like living abroad, and they tell their stories, whether it's the struggles, the joys, falling in love, raising a family, managing a business in another country, and maybe still searching for that place they will one day call home. This is a place where you can listen, the guest and host will share, and maybe we'll all learn from these stories that we're all connected in what home means to each of us. I'm your host, Jalila Clark. Welcome to the show. All right, welcome back to the Are We Home Yet podcast. So today I have the pleasure of interviewing Richard. Hi, Richard. How are you? Hi, nice to be here today. (laughs) Okay, great. So, where do you currently live, and how long have you lived there? I'm in Osaka, mm-hmm. and I've been here for about two years. Okay, and so what's it like living there? Like the food, the people, the culture, the environment. Tell us all about it. <laughs> Those are a lot of questions at once. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I'll start with um, I had been living in Shanghai before, uh-huh. and. Uh, so coming over to Osaka, Shanghai is kind of a unique culture for China. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- this is also a very unique city for Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, so so I, in some ways, I feel like I'm in the Shanghai of Japan. Okay. Um, it's the second city. Uh, Tokyo is, you know, the, the big city in, in Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, so this feels pretty small by comparison um, after visiting Tokyo and it's got a a nice slower pace it's got a really great underground art scene um you know everything's not about money here there there's a lot less outdoor advertising it's more blue collar city but you know that blue collar doesn't mean they don't do art (laughs) so that's really cool like what's the food like the food, uh, of course, Osaka is a port city, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of seafood, but it's not limited to that. Um, this area um, is known for Kobe beef because Kobe is just uh, 30 kilometers away, mm-hmm. and uh, there's just so many different types of cuisine across Kansai, and, and so you know it's got all the types of Japanese food we're used to abroad, and then like regional character and it's it's actually just great to explore it all and there's you know of course you can always get your chance to have the international food here too because osaka is a really international city yeah yeah and that sounds like like you just said you know in shanghai (laughs) you have all kinds of different cuisines what would you say have been the the differences in living in you know shanghai as opposed to osaka Osaka is a, a slower paced city than Shanghai. Shanghai's going all the time. I mean, yeah. the, the the thing like the city that never sleeps in the mm-hmm. in the song about New York. Mm-hmm. New York at 4 a.m. There's nothing happening. <laughs> but but uh the, you know, Shanghai is a 24-hour city and uh it, it's it's got an amazing pace. And when you get caught up in it, it it's really great. And until you realize like I really have to get out of the city for a little bit. And, you, and it's great because you go travel and, you know, Shanghai is the center of Asia. You can you can get so many places very easily, not during COVID time. Yeah. <laughs> but um, when when we could travel, you know, you could really use that as your home base and go a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that let me meet japan and uh, come fairly often to japan and you know osaka like i said it, there's a lot of things that are similar mm-hmm. um it being the second city like shanghai is to beijing and it has a, a the vibrant art scene and film you know shanghai produces a lot of movies even though most of the big movies come out of beijing mm-hmm. and uh there's a whole lot of movies being made in the Osaka area, Kyoto is right nearby, and there's a lot of talent in that area. 
so these movies are made and they're smaller. They have much smaller distribution. Some of them don't get outside of the Kansai area, which is the west, the western area of Japan. You know, the, uh, some of the movies that are made are they just go local distribution, and that things are done in a different way here. You know, uh, that we might be used to things that are just uh, so standardized, and that there is actually a lot of local divisions in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, each province ha- it does things in a lot of different ways, mm-hmm. so it, it's not as uh, as national and standardized and unyielding. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, and so so where are you originally from? Like, where's your original homeland? I come from about a hundred kilometers west of Boston. Oh, okay. Uh, and Boston is a great city from the college town around Amherst and Northampton, Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was a great area growing up. It was in the countryside, but there was this great little nugget of culture and art and uh, access to the universities. Mm-hmm. So growing up, that probably saved me because I kind of didn't fit in in the rural. Um, I, I love the nature. I love hiking. But the rural communities, maybe I didn't fit so well. So being able to hop on public transportation, rare in America. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there was public transportation into the colleges. And uh, th- yeah, that was part of the thing that opened me up was there were you know, people from all over the world going to University of Massachusetts and the, and the private colleges in, in that area. And, you know, I got to interact with all these people and learn about their stories. And uh, that also got me interested in film because I, I, I went to the underground theater, you know, the, the B-run movie theater, that art house movies. Mm-hmm. And that was just so, so wonderful being able to sit in a little tiny theater that had like 20 seats and <laughs> watch these movies that that most people uh, didn't want to watch. And, yeah. and you know, I, I would watch them and be like, I want to go there. I want to see that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I want to meet these people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree. And like like we had talked about be- before the interview, yeah, um, it was foreign films that really made me, you know, want to really be like a global citizen and learn more about the world and one day experience so much of the world and and really caused me to have like a thirst for traveling. Um, I remember yeah. one time when my mom and I were in Miami, you know, I was very young, but, you know, we were driving across the highway and I saw this billboard that mentioned that there was a international film festival happening (laughs) and yeah and so like you know they they had this one uh poster of one of the films and I was like mom can we go to that and you know she was she was always open to like anything that seemed like educational or artistic and she was like yeah sure and when we went I think that like we were like two of like four or five people in that theater like like that was about it and yeah and and it was such an interesting film I mean I never was able to find it again because you know it wasn't like this you know big blockbuster film or anything like that but it was this Brazilian film and you know it was about these kids and they were on the street and and what that was like for them and and it was so interesting because you know I I'd never seen anything like that I mean it honestly made me sad like I wasn't aware of like believe it or not, like kids not having a home and, you know, having to take care of themselves. And, and, and it really began like a conversation, you know, my mom and I had about the world that, you know, I'm sure if, if I hadn't seen that film at that young age, probably wouldn't have had, you know, that conversation about like, what's it like for sometimes people not to have a home or a family, anyone to care about them? What's it like to struggle to be really really poor to like worry about eating and and having clean water and and all kinds of things that obviously I wasn't thinking about when I was a young girl so yeah film Mm. film really really became important to me in understanding more about the world so then I have to ask you so then did you move from from America to China and you know then eventually Japan because of film or something else 
Um, my desire for travel certainly came about from film. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really influenced by some of the Taiwanese new wave, the Japanese cinema. I'm I'm 55 now, so mm-hmm. you know that we're talking like 80s. <laughs> yeah, um, and the the Chinese uh, movies were starting to make you know movies that weren't just propaganda. So mm-hmm. the glimpse into these places. Um, were captivating to me. And the first place I lived abroad was in Cologne in Germany. I did my time as a foreign language instructor. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I've tried to avoid that in Asia because I did my time doing that in Germany. Mm -hmm. And uh, I did that right after graduation. And uh, Cologne is uh, borders changed a lot in the European history. It had been part of France sometimes and part of Germany sometimes. And uh, so kind of like the other main cities I, I've lived, uh, Shanghai and Osaka, it's one of those that it's kind of not like the rest of the country. <laughs> and, it, and in a beautiful way, the, I think those cities are, are more open to the, the expats, more open to being an international city. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that, that feeling like Amherst in, uh, in Massachusetts uh, you know, a surprisingly international city, um, even though it's barely a city, but, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and Boston, uh, you know, so international. So I, I really liked that mindset. And, you know, I, getting into the German cinema while I was there was was great. And mm-hmm. travel, uh, that again, from, from Cologne, you're right at, at the border of France. So you've got all of Northern Europe. Um, you can get on a train and, and you're in Italy or, or, you can go to Hungary, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, this was around the time that um, things were opening up. The wall was coming down. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it was great to be there. And I did study film in college, but mm-hmm. I didn't think I'd ever be a filmmaker mm-hmm. because in America, you know, you go to Hollywood and unless you're the top of the top, you're saying, would you like fries with that burger, sir? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I was like, I don't think I'm going to be that 2% of the top of the top. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I became a journalist and uh, that was a, you know, I was always getting people's stories and, you know, I, I traveled a lot as a journalist. I, I worked for Associated Press and then I worked for a national magazine Um I did some city desk work too, but um, I mean, you, you are traveling through a lot of stories, even if you're not traveling physically. Yeah. You're 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 jumping into other people's lives, and uh, um, you know, I was thankful that I was able to, you know, get so many different people's perspectives by interviewing them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, when you interview smart people all the time, I, God, I hope some of it rubbed off on me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's cut to a quick commercial break. Enjoying the podcast? Then support the podcast. Click here to donate in the show notes and keep the cool interviews with guests from around the world going. Check out the blog for handy information about living abroad and buy the ebook, a great guidebook for moving abroad. Find the blog and ebook at the website arewehomeyetpodcast.com. Again, that's arewehomeyetpodcast.com. You can also donate on the website by scrolling all the way to the bottom and finding the donate button. All right, back to the show now. How long were you a journalist? Um. Uh- in some ways, I still am. Um, <laughs> I, I I still do articles, um, uh-huh. but I, I'm not doing it full time. Um, okay. I I changed over when I when I went to China mm-hmm. after 2003. I started out as an editor at the Shanghai Daily, the international, uh, the English language daily. Mm-hmm. I was on their editing desk, and they were supposed to be, you know, opening their media to you know that no longer be censored because they were entering the world trade organization and one of the conditions of joining the wto was that they you know worked on all their human rights things including a fair and open press Mm -hmm. and uh 
that didn't happen, but it was still a great experience to start there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I was there with my children. Mm-hmm. Um, I had two young kids and I, I sent them sink or swim into the local school, <laughs> which for China, uh, this was only the second year that that was legal. Mm-hmm. You know, the, for it, it, 10 years before that, foreigners had been sequestered into one like compound area of town and uh and might have had people like watching them and everything mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah this was a different china mm-hmm. um like and, around what year was that well that was 2003 i moved there okay okay and uh they had just made provisions that foreign kids could go to local schools instead of an international school mm-hmm. and uh you know international schools always are super expensive private schools yeah. and uh you know if you're on a corporate contract that's part of the the thing that they attract the expat talent is you know your kids will go to this uh international school as part of your package and i, I wasn't on the the big package so um aside from the cost i was like i want my kids going to the local school that's why we're here <laughs> And uh, and so they they struggled uh, and their teachers struggled because they had done Chinese as a second language mm-hmm. and that, you know, there were only like about five other kids. There were three Koreans, two Japanese and my kids mm-hmm. in, in that school. And that was like the whole section of town. And so there weren't many parents that were doing this. Mm-hmm. So we had to get a tutor and my kids worked really hard and they learned great Chinese. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I didn't worry because the uh, the education in math and sciences in China is really good. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a journalist and I, I, I'm pretty good at giving them a different perspective on the world than the Chinese teaching about social studies or world history. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I made sure they got that, you know. They got a dose of that from me, but they they uh, got the Chinese school experience too. And so, you know, you've lived in several countries. So then, like, what was the difference in, like, say, your quality of life from Germany to China to now Japan? Like, your cost of living, your safety, just, you know, just in general, like, how you lived. I mean, Europe is expensive. <laughs> and, I, you know, I was doing that. I was young, though. I was fresh out of college. So mm-hmm. um, the language teachers didn't get paid a lot. Uh, I was in a, a sharing a flat with a a, a German family. And um, but, you know, it was great. Uh, you know, Cologne has Roman era ruins still mm-hmm. in the city and. Uh, middle age walls and uh yeah it was, it was it was great and that's a clean beautiful city very friendly and um i got you know got to learn that like all these things that we think germans are like it's like there's the different regions of germany and mm-hmm. you know cologne and that northern part of germany is is got a very different attitude than that and and, and culture and feel that than we expect of the german culture and yeah. uh like I say, it was a very international city. So I had friends from around the world um, that there are some Galatian people, uh, you know, from Spain and that there were people from Serbia and just all over. And, uh, you know, I met artists and, you know, the first time you go to a foreign country, you you find out things that you absolutely knew were true mm-hmm. in your country aren't the same everywhere <laughs> like like what uh, one of the clearest things was in, in france i you know i saw a, a car accident that caused some damage to both cars mm-hmm. and uh they both got out they swore at each other <laughs> and then they drove away i'm still swearing at each other it's some beautiful <laughs> french words that i hadn't heard before like whoa <laughs> And they didn't call the police. They didn't re- call insurance. They just yelled at each other and drove off. <laughs> and in, in Germany, when barely a scratch happened, but they had an accident, both of them, uh, both people, even though it was clearly one person's fault, they both looked like, oh, no, we've done something wrong. We've had an accident. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's so different that, you know, in, in the American way is 
you know, oh, we've got to be very regulated about this. We've got to take out the ID and we've got to, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, and, and just to see that things happen a lot different or, or, or linguistically the way people think, you know, uh, you've got people who turn on and turn off lights versus open or closed lights, mm-hmm. you know, uh, or, or things that, that are something like we just call mushroom. They mm-hmm. might have five different words for mushroom. Yeah. It's like, isn't that just a type of mushroom? No, it's it's this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and so those different things, or um, mm-hmm. I mean, quite frankly, the first time I went to France, um, I encountered the first um, non-sit-down toilet ever. Okay. That that you know that I experienced, and mm-hmm. you know that that's just one of those things that wow you know that's that's different <laughs> yeah, yeah it wasn't until i went to paris that i had ever experienced unisex toilets yeah because i yeah. Went, i went into the restroom to use the restroom you know and i didn't i didn't notice what the sign on the door said but you know when i had asked oh where's the restroom you know and i was at the restaurant they said oh it's there and i said oh, okay no problem so i go in and in the so i saw like there was a man in there who went to the stall and you know close the door and then i'm so then i went back and i looked at the door but i was like um okay so then i asked the restaurant i said but the women's restroom and they said yeah yeah w- women can use the restroom too and so like, <laughs> oh uh, okay so so then i just went into the stall as well and closed the door and i mean you know obviously the man wasn't you know concerned with me and, and i wasn't concerned with the man and you know and it was just a very interesting experience because you know obviously in america it's you know, women's restroom, men's restroom. And, you know, there's like this, there's like this. um, And the weird controversy going on. Exactly. Yeah. You know, as people were posting about this, I I just took a picture of an Asian restroom that has man and female on the same door. And it's like, you know, you get over your, it's just like, get over yourselves. Yeah. 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 And I mean, you know, you know, when we went to go wash our hands and, and again, like, you know, the, there was no interaction whatsoever. You know, he left the restroom, right. went to his table. I left the restroom, went to my table. And, you know, it was just like, I see. Like, I mean, like, this is not an issue. Okay. And and I get it. You know, I'm sure that there have been occasions, you know, in other places where, you know, maybe it has been an issue. But, yeah, that experience was new to me. It was like, wow, this is not an issue. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And so, so your cost of living and safety in China and Japan, like what, what was that like? Okay. Yeah. Get, get, getting back to, to this side of the world. Um, yeah. Things uh, are in China are generally really cheap. Yeah. Uh, even though prices have come up, but, but Shanghai has always been an expensive city mm-hmm. and uh, the costs were rising and rising uh, in the time I was there between 2003 and late 19 the uh, late 2019 um when i started thinking about moving away and finally ended up over here in japan i, I was surprised that when i moved to osaka we think japan's really expensive mm-hmm. um but osaka is cheaper than living in shanghai and i was noticing that shanghai prices were like what you expect in new york city and and the wages are not American wages, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so um, that was hard when the, the all, all the costs of living in Shanghai City were were high. And, uh, you know, for for the, especially for the people uh, who aren't expats, the Chinese salaries are lower and that's, that's really hard for them. Um, but, you know, moving to Japan, it was nice. Things are cleaner. Though Shanghai has improved so much. I mean, it, China's really developing at a fast pace. And it's not, you know, we think of that being the building and uh, and uh, all its business at, at, when you say development. But, you know, there's, uh, you know, the development of, of the urban culture as well. And uh, the difference before was no one would, you know, the, pick anything up that there'd be trash all over the place, really. Mm-hmm. And the outside of buildings, people didn't care how they looked. They, they kind of didn't see that detail. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's typical under a communist country. Mm-hmm. You, you don't do things that you're not asked to do because you draw attention to yourself. And that can sometimes not be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that reminds me of the movie Brazil. Have you ever seen that movie? 
Yeah, yeah. Panero. They're like, yeah. What? Like, are you kidding me? You're you're making unauthorized repairs? How dare you? Yeah, that that really is how you know on, under the the harsh communist past. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you you didn't do things that would get attention. Uh, you know, communist Russia was like that too. Mm-hmm. Or you know USSR, and you didn't want to be house proud. You you didn't fix the outside of your house because their neighbors would feel like you were doing something that was insulting them. Mm-hmm. You know, you're saying our house is bad if you make yours look nice. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not. But yeah, yeah, you, you can see how that could happen. China's really when I when I first went there, people had to tell you, you know. Oh, oh, Shanghai is a world-class city. It's like, well, mm-hmm. why are you telling me that? It, it, it I would know it if, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And now you, you could, you could go to Shanghai, and you're like, wow, this is a world-class city, yeah. you know. Yeah. And so, so okay, so then now, did your kids end up once they had graduated from school? So they were like, you know, eighteen. Did they remain in China, or did they go back to? That's a great question. America? Yeah. Um, like, what happened with that? Um, my, my kids, considering they went to the local schools, mm-hmm. uh, there's a very high stakes test in, in China that determines your life. Mm-hmm. Um, kids stress over this, their parents stress over it, and the test anxiety and the, the cram schools. Uh, so the kids end up cramming for the test more than learning, you know, more than real quality learning. It's that sad to see, and uh, you know, thankfully, my kids didn't have to have that mindset. Even though they're really smart, they're brilliant kids. They weren't going to compete on that test with with the locals, you know, mm-hmm. as a second language, uh, third culture kids. So they prepared for the PSAT and the SAT. We made sure to go back in the summer, and they took the test, and uh, they both went back and and you know, entered school for their last year and they graduated from normally from high school. Okay. And, and then, went on to college and, and okay. got, you know. But like in, a, in America or? <laughs> in America. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. And so like, I mean, was, was that what prompted you to move to Japan or did you just continue staying in China for some time after that? I stayed for a little, but I was looking at moving and, and, you know, the the kid said like you know we're we're done and we're you know we're done with high school we're going to college and yeah. you know um you're kind of free <laughs> <laughs> you're free yeah i mean especially yeah you know my daughter got free ride at college uh with scholarships because she was born russian um i adopted her and she you know, learned perfect English, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, after being born and started growing up speaking Russian, she got perfect English. Then we went to China and she got Chinese. So, you know, just her diversity, her, her perspective uh, yeah. and her great grades, uh, she, she got, yeah, she got a great scholarship and <laughs> the great experience. And then you know, they're like, you're, you're free dad. And, you know, if, if, if you hit 50 and you haven't grown up, you know, you're not going to. So. <laughs> Okay. Okay. And so I'm sure like you miss them, but then, you know, what, is there anything else about America that you do miss? Well, I mean, you're going back to America is for family, but the New England area of, of America, it, you know, the two coasts are what I really love about America. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, New England is beautiful and, it, you know, it's got just amazing still areas of, of wildlife and to go hiking there to to go to uh, experience boston new york up to montreal upper state new york the this is a it's, it's just a beautiful area and the people are are you know there's some really nice people there mm-hmm. and it, it's it's got a, a a really special culture you know that being the older part of the the colonial invasion of of north america <laughs> There are things about American, you know, that to go to an American diner and, mm-hmm. you know, experience the, the the American comfort food as it doesn't exist in in the way it does in America. Mm-hmm. As you travel around the world, they tell you stuff is just like in America. And it's like, 
no, it's not. So, so you know how the Chinese feel when they get to America and that, you know, that people are like, this is a Chinese restaurant. And they're like, what is this stuff? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> who is this, who is this um, General Sal? I know someone once asked me that. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, I don't know. I thought he was really <laughs> new. <laughs> He, he was good with chicken. I think he's a, a little bit like uh, the Kentucky Colonel. <laughs> yeah, you know what's funny is that I actually watched a, a documentary about that. And yeah, you know, of course they said like, like that was not like a real person, you know, but, you know, of course, yeah, it, it kind of lent itself like the lore, you know, like the, the yeah. anecdote like lent itself to, to really like making the, the chicken dish really interesting. I think that that's what I remember from the documentary. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Kind of like <laughs> yeah. Kind of like Colonel KFC. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. So then actually I, I am curious about something. Okay. So you're American, but then, you know, you went and worked first in Europe. So, you know, what was the visa process like? Because, you know, you, you weren't, you weren't an EU citizen. So like, what was it like? Well, that was being there specifically as the English teacher, mm -hmm. you don't become an EU resident. Mm -hmm. and, and I was uh, doing that while, while studying German at the same time. Uh, okay. I, I was on a student visa and okay. uh, I was allowed, to, I was allowed to work. So. Okay. 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 <laughs> so then, but then I'm yeah. assuming then you had to do that for China and Japan, correct? Uh, for China, um, it, except for the year that I, I was, um, at the Shanghai Daily, where they took mm -hmm. care of my uh, of my work permit, mm -hmm. the rest of the time I was actually doing kind of, things where I have to admit, kind of a gray area. And I'm saying this on uh, radio. <laughs> uh, I would you know, like get a business visa that allowed you to just leave the country every ninety days. Okay. Um, okay. That, you know, that, no, you know, I completely I, understand. Before, yeah, no. yeah, I had met lots of people who did that. Yeah. Right. Right. And. Uh, and that was warping the system. So I, I, I had a, some qualms about doing that, but there was no legal way to be a freelancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, you, you can imagine, I was trying to raise my kids and uh, still get work done. And I wanted to be able to have that flexibility to be able to take care of my kids and uh, to not be locked into sometimes Asian employers are a bit inflexible. <laughs> and uh, and so that gave me the work-life balance that I needed um, and allowed me to work, you know, really hard on a, on a project basis and then take the time to travel around, to take the kids somewhere. And so th that's a different thing than, than in Japan. Japan is really actually very challenging to get a work visa, a residence permit, and that they they had no sense of humor about people coming in <laughs> and then taking a flight for a few days somewhere and coming back. Mm -hmm. They're like, you know, they'll, they'll let you do that once when you're on a, you know, it's like I, I had some business to do and I, I came back and, and they're like, yeah, you, you don't want to keep doing this or yeah, yeah no, this is not, a, you know, I, I think you were doing it just to renew your visa mm -hmm. and that's, that's not how it's done. So don't do this again. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. What I ended up doing is luckily, you know, I, I'm a filmmaker and a writer. So I had, you know, all of my writing clips, a lot of them were cultural in nature and the film that I did. And I honestly am interested in Japanese film and want to make mm -hmm. films here. So I was able to get an artist visa and I didn't need to be sponsored by a company. So I am, I am in Japan on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. the, uh, usually you have to be sponsored. Cultural visas might be sponsored by a government organization, a cultural organization, or a university. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then you know, you're on their specific schedule and, and under their purvey. Mm -hmm. uh, but in my case, I was able to you know, be here as an independent artist. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and uh, I am not able to get a normal job job here but i can work on movies the culture i'm here for mm -hmm. and i you know i can write screenplays and if i write a screenplay here i can sell it and because that's the art i'm, I'm primarily a screenwriter 
even though I've done producer or director. Did you also write, produce, or or make films in China as well? Or did you just really yeah. like kind of start doing it more in, in Japan? Around 2006, I got involved with, um, with filmmaking through, there was a film contest called the, the May Wenti contest, which means mm-hmm. no problem. Uh, the, the, there was a Colombian guy who ran it and you know he said you should be able to make a film no problem they went tea (laughs) and uh i i made a film for that and because i was a professional writer i did have film background uh i met people in film and uh, i started doing work in film i worked at the hollywood reporter magazine which is the competitor to variety Mm -hmm. and uh and working at the Hollywood Reporter, I was not covering the stars so much, but covering the directors, the producers, and other entertainment industry things out of out of China. Mm-hmm. And I was the Shanghai correspondent, and that put me um, in connection with uh, a producer who asked me if I could edit, and and uh, I ended up actually rewriting a script, and then he had me write his next script mm-hmm. <laughs> and um so from about 2006 on i was working in the film industry um not the big movies but i had some small parts to do with some big movies and some big parts to do with some incredibly incredibly small movies <laughs> you know it, it's sad that you got you got to see a beautiful movie that probably never ever got distribution because a lot of the movies that are made you know, the, the film festival circuit is the only place people are ever going to see them. Yes. And so the the sort of movies that I worked on, I sometimes I didn't have a choice. I was uh, whatever I got hired on. But the movies that I like to write, you know, have some cultural aspect to them. And mm-hmm. I, I really like the period of uh, coming of age films. Some of the ones that I wrote and produced are around that that coming of age period. When you mentioned like culture aspects, were you hired because like, hey, you can provide like, you know, Western culture, American culture, or were you writing in terms of like, you know, hey, I'm writing about, you know, a Chinese person, like having this, you know, Chinese experience, like what, what was it mostly that, that you were contributing? Well, um, I mean, I, I certainly was, hired um, in in a lot of cases specifically because Mm -hmm. I had a good interface between the international culture and Mm -hmm. and the local culture. And and so the the work that I was doing was often with trying to get joint venture companies, either from, you know, Chinese trying to get involved in in Hollywood. And and so they were pitching in that direction or American companies trying to work with Chinese in China. Mm -hmm. And you know, to have somebody who's living in the culture, uh, an understanding of both the languages and and understanding, you know, what the cultural bottlenecks uh, in trying to work together are. So, you know, working as that interface uh, between the two parts is a lot of the work that, that, that we did. And so that, it, you know, wouldn't necessarily, you know, be on screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, the movies that I made, I was doing primarily Chinese language films. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, of course, some of the movies I like most from American are, are not Hollywood movies, but made in America when a foreign director comes to America mm-hmm. uh, and, yeah. and makes a film. I mean, they make films about America that no American would make. Yes. And, and so, you know, there there were films that I made that that really upset some Chinese people because, I, I mean, they were respectful. I mean, there's nothing bad about China in it, um, but I just I was doing things with a different mindset, and some people were like, you know, that, that's not that's not like what China's like, and they were just offended to see things, you know, n- not telling the cultural lie that we are expected to tell, and I, you know, other people were like. You know, I, I, I've never seen something like that, um, but it's real. Yeah, so, you know, the people who were more international, they were like, yeah, you got it. Um, you know, Chinese people probably wouldn't 
you know, wouldn't focus on that on, on, on film, but you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's a film that I'm thinking about. It was di- directed by a Chinese woman. It won an Oscar. Okay, it was called yeah. Nomadland. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and that was uh, a very interesting film. And I'll tell you why. And I'll tell you because of a personal uh-huh. experience. Not really because like I, I thought like, oh, wow, this is different because I had seen kind of films like that about, you know, people struggling with like, you know, like poverty in America. So that was not new to me. And people, you know, having to like figure things out, you know, all over again. So I have dated Chinese men here. And at the mm-hmm. time, so I was dating this one Chinese guy and we watched the film and he said, you know, I didn't know Americans could be that poor. And I was like, (laughs) okay. And he said, and I've never seen or heard anything about white Americans being so poor. And I was like, really? And we're speaking in English because like I barely speak any Mandarin. Like I speak survival Mandarin. Um, So so this was like an educated guy, like, you know, and clearly like he was open-minded, you know, because he's dating a black woman. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was just like, you know, it's just very interesting that, you know, he he really had not been exposed to any information like that. And that really, you know, started him thinking about a lot of different things that, you know, that that he didn't have access to or information about, let me just say. And so right. that's what I'm saying. Like, that was very interesting because, you know, that was a Chinese director. And yeah, when he saw that, he was like, wow, like she did a really good job. So that yeah. that experience was very interesting for me because of that conversation. Yeah, Chloe Zhao, um, I mean, she uh, she took a very different path from the book that it was based on. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, a lot of what, um was on screen was was her unique look at america yeah um which is is the strength of the movie Mm -hmm. um in a lot of ways she used that that story as a vehicle for her to show her view of of america Mm -hmm. um that that thing about the poverty you know i i I grew up on a farm (laughs) yeah people will go like wow you got so much land you're rich (laughs) yeah it's like uh yeah we don't make enough to pay the property taxes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so i i grew up like uh, waiting uh, i had older relatives so i i didn't get my first you know new pair of blue jeans until like fourth grade and the idea that i had you know, that I had something, you know, a new piece of clothing that was purchased from the store. Mm-hmm. I was so proud. And I went to school and I got picked on for having not the right brand. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, and it's like, yeah, there are people who are that poor in America. <laughs> and, uh, and I would see, I would watch television shows, um, you know, every sitcom uh, that, that, that people do watch abroad, they show really rich houses. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about it, I mean, even friends, you know, these are supposed to be kind of like the, you know, the low young people. And I was like, when when are these people ever working? And, and those two nice apartments that they live in, in in New York, my God. (laughs) Well, it's interesting, not only that, because, you know, when I first got to China, you know, believe it or not, like, I mean, I'd have people ask me like, you know, about America and they're like, oh, but you're American, like so surprised. And no joke, like two different people said, you know, they watched Friends and, you know, they they never saw any black people on Friends. And I said, yes, I know, unfortunately. You know, and, yeah. and, and it is unfortunate because, you, you know, like film, television, it, it really is such a medium for people to gain access about other people in the world, believe it or not. It can be that profound. And, you know, for, for me now to have to explain to people like, you know, look, <laughs> that that I don't know why, like they made that fictitious show like that, because it doesn't make any sense. They're in Manhattan. You know, so they're right. in like an international place. They're in a diverse place. It doesn't make any sense. If they walked outside that cafe, they would run into lots of different diverse people, let alone in the cafe. 
So it never made any sense to me. But, you know, yeah, then I'd have to explain to people like, you know, that's not realistic. You know, then, of course, the conversation would be. But then why would they make it like that for all these years with no diversity? You know, and, you know, then, of course, there's like a larger context and conversation (laughs) that happens. Um, But yeah, yeah, it, it is interesting when like, you know, people see all of this wealth and stuff and they think that that's real because obviously it, it looks realistic, you know? Yeah, there's so much where America is right now. That's probably a can of worms that we could do several shows about. <laughs> yeah. Start a whole new podcast on that. Um, so we probably should. <laughs> <laughs> and so, um, we probably so, should flip back to Asia. <laughs> yeah. So then, so then let me ask you a question. Like, okay, so then like your films in Japan, because you mentioned, you know, coming of age and stuff like that. Are they yep. the same kind of films that you're making in Japan as well or slightly different? The films that I did in China, um, uh, you know, I had young people right near me to uh, inspire some stories. And, uh, you know, as a reporter, a lot of the things I get are from out of the news. So when I write, you know, my ideas for a script are taking something that was um, was real and then turning it into a story. Just as when I was a reporter, I was taking something real and trying to make it so that the readers could feel that there's a cohesive story to it. Um, you know, we try to, we try to take whatever really happened and, and like, you know, put it in a, in, in a way that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I'm still trying to go with uh, something that is relevant in Japan and it's a little, little bit older story, but there's a whole culture here, I guess, everywhere, you know, where young, young women are eaten up for their cuteness, mm-hmm. you know, by, by the industry around beauty and sex and so i i'm exploring with someone who's in their 30s and trying to leave that industry and so it it feels a lot like something real but it's a fiction and uh that will probably be filmed as soon as the omicron Mm -hmm. crisis is over we were waiting you know uh, um i i i had tickets up to go up to tokyo Mm -hmm. to do some scouting a wonderful actress who loved the script and i was going to get the rest of the casting and get everything together for a small production short film and then you know we heard rumors of omicron and uh uh yeah then i was like yeah i'm gonna wait to travel because i think Mm -hmm. we're gonna have a spike and and the production won't happen and any any pre-production is just going to be wasted (laughs) and i was right Mm -hmm. but yeah I, i i will start making some films here and once you've made one short film that has gotten attention in an international film festival mm-hmm. that you don't make money off short films so it's mm-hmm. it, that's something where you uh really have to you know you you have to put your money in and your resources uh sometimes it's not always money it's you've got friends and you know mm-hmm. and other support mm-hmm. uh but but you have to put it out there and you have to show what you can do but normally, like I, since I've I've had films that have gone the in, in the film circuit, I wouldn't be still making short films. But I moved countries. You go back to zero. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so I I kind of need to have a, a a film that I made in Japan that that is in Japanese language to show I can do it here. So I can <laughs> so I can hopefully get a feature film here. And I've I've got a a project I would really like to do here, but, you know, I kind of need to ha- have a little proof of concept. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, so, so then like, you know, living in various countries and yeah. you know, having different kinds of jobs and raising a family abroad and, you know, now being, you know, as your daughter said, free. So like you, you yeah. have various experiences. So, you know, then I'm wondering like, what would you say have been the struggles and the joys of being an expat? Struggles and joys. Wow. Yeah. There's, there's so many, the joys are the chance to, you know, be in places where life is different. You open your mind and and you meet people from, you know, around the world who are, are some of the most interesting people. The people you come across are people who are also travelers. Mm -hmm. Um, 
uh, or, or at least they're open to another culture. So, you, you know, it, even if it's your host country, you're meeting some of the most interesting people and just because you're different and, and they're open to different instead of closed to different. The challenge is, though, you know, it's the distance. Uh, you know, you, you lose connections with people, um, you know, the uh, family members um, pass away and you're abroad, you know. Mm-hmm. And you know that, that, that there's a cost to that. Um, that that is is hard, and you, you know that sometimes you wonder. It's like you know, the, the, should I have done the picket fence thing, and should I have been mm-hmm. you know at home? <laughs> uh, should I have gotten a nice little job and mm-hmm. and you know not not risk myself and you know, and there are significant risks when you're out of your social support network. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes when, like, you you find you have to change jobs, that can be so scary because yeah. there's no social support for you if, you know, if it takes a while to find the next job. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. That is a stress. I had a weird situation. Mm-hmm. I, I had decided I wanted to leave China um, and I had a dog that, I had gotten in 2003 mm-hmm. and it was too old for anyone to have it travel. Um, mm-hmm. You know, a- any of the, f- the freight forwarders who do pet forwarding, they're like, your dog's too old. All the, all the airlines were like, your dog's too old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and so I, you know, no one really wants an old dog who's mm-hmm. smelly breath and shedding and <laughs> turning gray <laughs> So, you know, I, I had to wait to, to move until the dog passed away. You know, I didn't want the dog to die sooner, but, at, you know, at the same time, I'm like, I'm honestly really just waiting, you know, uh, in this country just for the dog. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. China has become recently harder and harder for foreigners. Yeah. Um, they, I, I was leaving just before the trade war started, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of other problems with uh how foreigners the, their opportunities mm-hmm. how they could do business in china a lot of that was changing and i was living in china and almost all my work was freelance work abroad mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like i wasn't even working in china i was mm-hmm. you know working on the cloud and i mean that's one thing that's so wonderful for us compared to when i was in germany right after graduating mm-hmm. in like early 90s you know, to now is is you can stay so connected, at least by the internet. Yeah. And uh, you can, you know, it's so much easier to be a foreign, uh, foreign, you know, employee. But of course, so many people are on the internet. It's also being a foreign correspondent isn't such a big deal anymore. Yeah. Because uh, yeah. they've got so many, you know, before like any paper would take articles from someone living abroad. Mm-hmm. It, it was just easy. You'd call any, any major paper and like, hey, I'm living in Singapore. I'm living wherever. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, yeah, we'll take articles from you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now they're like, yeah, I can talk to anyone on the Internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are a lot of jobs online. So, yeah. So then, you know, what would you say then are the joys of being an expat? You, you are less attached. So you you do travel a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, expats don't feel as tied down. And like, you know, whenever there's a break from work, it's like, okay, which place haven't we seen? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and so you go a lot of places and you you do find out that the world is different. You know, the, finding those cultural differences, you know, sometimes it's disconcerting, uh, you know, because like, well, why don't they do it like this? It's yeah, because like, yeah, we're in a different country. That's why. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then you go, oh, that's okay. <laughs> And and there's there's times where you get out of the city, you know, because any city you're you're doing your job, you're doing, you know, your work, and you have coworkers, and they're just coworkers. You don't think they're Chinese or they're Japanese or they're Singaporean or German or you know, you you, you just you're doing your work, and they're just people. I mean, yeah. that's the great feeling is is that you just start to think of people as just people. Yeah. <laughs> but 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 sometimes you you go to the countryside and and you see a you know a hill with terraced gardens on it and mm-hmm. and people are are 
literally wearing those woven hats that 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 you know you almost feel like it's culturally insensitive to show a Chinese person with that type of hat, but yeah. they're actually wearing that, and, and, then, and then you're like, you, know, you just look around and you go like. I'm in China. <laughs> yeah. You know, because you just you you're just living life and you yeah. you almost forget you're not in your home country. You feel like you're home. Yeah. So then, yeah, what's your definition of home? You've lived in many places. What's your definition of home? I mean, home is the people you care about. Yeah. And uh and so I mean, it's, it isn't the place. Mm-hmm. It, it it's it's the people that you have in your life. Mm-hmm. And you know, when you're an expat, so you, you meet a lot of people who are transitory, mm-hmm. a lot of people that you maybe don't, you know, you don't think of getting close. You'd be nice too, but you, you're not going to get close to them because they're going to move soon. You know what? You're going to move. But there's there's certain people that come into your life and, you know, wherever you go in the world, they're, those people are home and, and you know, the, it, you're less tied to the, the idea of the box being your home. It, 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 it's It's the the space around you that you live in and it's it's not about you know the soil that you uh walked barefoot in as a kid <laughs> no yeah yeah and, it's the space you live in yeah 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 hmm. and where, where i'm living right now i'm 13 kilometers outside of the city mm-hmm. of osaka and it gets it gets pretty rural pretty fast mm-hmm. um I mean, all the conveniences are right there, and I, I live very connected to um, to a rail line that gets me right down to to downtown if I want. I and thirteen kilometers, it's a one hour bike ride to uh, most places downtown or less. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's like this is great, but I'm living on this tiny little um, lane that's a dead end lane. Mm-hmm. Um, all of the houses are are old um and the people in it i'm you know at age 55 i'm the youngest person on the street oh i have a snapper (laughs) i know i'm the young kid and and so these these um you know these grandmas are are treating me like i'm i'm the kid they kind of got to watch out for and you know know, and take care of you know and make sure i'm okay and and they're very friendly and all the people on the street, eight o'clock every morning, there's a, a government news thing on the radio and then they have the morning exercise. Mm-hmm. So all the all these grannies are doing the morning exercise. Yeah. And uh, you know, I, I often, you know, go out uh to check my mail around that time in the morning and and uh, you know, because it's an opportunity to say hi to them when they're all together and mm-hmm. and uh, they are they're so nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So it, it, the the feeling of community here is is really cool. They they, they work to make me feel at home. <laughs> that sounds yeah. really wonderful. That does. Yeah, right. uh, people will say will say that the Japanese are very cold, and if you're a foreigner here, that mm-hmm. you'll never really you know be friends. It's like that's okay. I mean, yeah. if, if they're if they always treat me as a foreigner, that's fine. Yeah, you yeah. know, I'm not going to hold it against them. They're, and it, it, it there is a bit of a veneer that they're you know <laughs> that, that they're nicer on the surface than underneath, perhaps. Mm-hmm. You know, um, as some people will say, but you know that's just fine for me because they, that that nice veneer is is okay and there are there are people that you can make friends with yeah. here in some places like you you know you having been in china you know that you you, you in, in china like you're so picked out as a foreigner mm-hmm. and that, uh, you get a lot of the um the glad face in, in front of you and mm-hmm. it might turn to a dagger in the back the minute you turn <laughs> so so i'm i'm kind of okay with people who are not like overly fakely friendly to you um yeah uh, and uh, new england is like that too uh yeah. new england for is not like most of america where people are openly openly friendly and then that they might uh down south they call it giving you sweet tea <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They say nice things in front of you, and and they're they're really giving you a <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Uh, people up in New England, they're not going to do anything to make you uh, falsely feel nice, mm-hmm. but you know they'll do anything to help you too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there, there's a, a genuine you know genuineness under that that you know yeah I'm not going to 
spend foolish time, but but if you need help, I'll help you. <laughs> All right. Well, this this has been a really great conversation. So thank you, Richard, for taking the time to be interviewed by me on this podcast, Are We Home Yet? A podcast where we talk to expats about what it's like living abroad and, you know, maybe through our conversation, inspire future expats to go out there and experience something new and different as well. So with that, I'm going to say goodbye to all of our listeners, as well as Richard. I hope you have a great day. Thank you. Coming up is my interview with Michael, who was born in Tanzania and lived there until the age of 10, whereupon he and his family returned to Sweden. But Michael always felt like Tanzania was where he was meant to be, and decades later has returned from Sweden to the country he feels is his true home. I hope you enjoyed the show. Remember to hit subscribe, and to stay updated, head over to AreWeHomeYetPodcast.com. I'm Jalila Clark. See you next time.